Good morning and welcome. We're grateful for your presence. We're so thankful for the opportunity to be together today. We're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 17, the passage that was read a moment ago. We appreciate so much those who are visiting today. As always, we invite you to come back. We're very grateful that you've chosen to come our way today, and we'd love to have you come back again. It might be the case that you're looking for a church home, and we want you to know that we'd love to have you come and be a part of the work here. I do want to express appreciation to Jared and Donald for preaching in my absence last week. Appreciate so much uh, your cards and prayers and thoughts and calls, and uh, very grateful to be back, and uh, very grateful for all of the prayers that were offered on my behalf. As I said a moment ago, we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 17. In this section of Scripture, we have the criterion that God sets forth for godly leadership. It's my conviction that we have a leadership crisis in our country. I don't think that any of us would deny that there is a lack of leadership beginning really in the home and then obviously being demonstrated in the public arena. And yet Moses records for us the criterion for the kind of leader that would be pleasing in the eyes of God. Specifically here, he's talking about the one who would ultimately serve as king over Israel. When I think about the lack of leadership that is so evident in our country, I understand that it all begins in the home. And there are a lot of fathers that have abdicated their responsibility in the home as serving as that spiritual leader that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. As we have said so many times before, as the home goes, so goes the nation. Our nation is in trouble because our homes are in trouble. And so I want us to think for a moment or two about what is recorded for us in Deuteronomy chapter 17 with the understanding that the things that were written before time were written for our learning. I want to begin by first of all talking about some of the inherent dangers to the king. And then we're going to talk about the imperative duty of the king. Begin with me as we think about some of the inherent dangers to the king. And there are really three specific dangers outlined by Moses in this context. In verse 14, God said, When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and possess it and dwell in it, And say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, we have a record of the children of Israel asking God for a king. Obviously, this was to the disappointment of Samuel the prophet. And God told Samuel, look, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me as being king over them. And so in verse 15... God said, you shall surely set a king over you 
whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Now look at verse 16. The first inherent or imminent danger that the king would face would have to do with power. Note what he says. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Horses in ancient times were a symbol of strength and power. And sometimes they give a false sense of security. In Psalm 147, God said in the long ago, He said that He takes no delight in the strength of the horse, nor does He take pleasure in the legs of man. But rather He said, He takes pleasure in those who fear Him. In verses 10 and 11. In those who hope in His mercy. Sometimes if we're not careful, we look at our military strength and all of the things that we have assembled for our protection and fortification. And we have this false sense of security. What God was saying to the future men who would serve as king over Israel. You don't need to trust in your military strength. And then there is a second thing, a second danger that would confront the king. And this would have to do with his partners. Look at verse 17. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away And so, again, God's saying you need to be very careful about the people you align yourself with. Specifically here, God is saying to the king, to the future king, you don't need to multiply wives, foreign wives, because ultimately they will lead you into idolatry. And then there's a third thing. We're going to come back and look at this in a minute. minute. The third thing has to do with his possessions. Again, verse 17, he said, Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Sometimes material goods, wealth, again, give a a false sense of security and strength. What happens sometimes is people become proud and they begin to think about, look at all that I have. And because I have this abundance of wealth, then my future is is secure. Let me call attention to a couple of passages very quickly. Turn over, if you would, to the book of 1 Kings. In 1 Kings chapter 2, let me just give you some application of how the warnings that were sounded here by God in the long ago, those warnings went unheeded. In 1 Kings chapter 2, David, of course, succeeded 
King Saul. And David was a man after God's own heart. David was a good king. Now he had some flaws, he had some problems, but nonetheless he was a good king. Probably the greatest king over the United Kingdom. So David is about to depart this life and he calls Solomon, his son, before him. In verse 2 he said, I go, I go the way of all the earth, be strong therefore, and prove yourself a man. Now listen to him in verse 3. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies. As it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Now, turn over, if you would, a couple of chapters. Look at 1 Kings chapter 10 for a moment. In chapter 10, we have a record of Solomon. And again, we think about here is Solomon, the son of David, the successor to the king of Israel. Solomon built an enormous empire. As a matter of fact, his reputation was well known far and wide. In verse 26 of chapter 10, now you remember David had just given some divine instructions to Solomon. He said, here's what you need to do. You need to observe the law. You need to follow the law of God. Why? So that you might prosper and be successful. Again, bear in mind Deuteronomy chapter 17, the prohibitions that were given. First, with regard to multiplying horses, Secondly, with regard to the multiplication of wives. And thirdly, the multiplication of silver and gold. Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. Look at verse 27. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. He made cedars as abundant as the sycamores which are in the lowland. And Solomon had horses imported from Egypt. Now, God had just said, as we read a moment ago in Deuteronomy chapter 17, he was not to do that. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughters of Pharaoh. Women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. From the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Why? For surely they will turn away your hearts from their gods. Now listen to what it said. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Now we talk about the wisdom of Solomon. The queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, came to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. And when she examined Solomon and his great wealth, she said, the half hasn't been told. As wise as Solomon was, he was foolish. Why? Because he didn't honor what God said. God said, when a man comes to the throne in Israel, here's what he needs to do. There are some possible dangers lurking. And so we think about the threat, the imminent danger that the king would face. It had to do with power, the partnerships that he would forge, his possessions. There was the real danger 
of apostasy. So having said that, let's talk for just a minute or two about the imperative duty of the king. Note if you would verse 18. In verse 18, the first thing God says is, you need to secure a copy of the law for yourself. Here's what Moses said, Also it shall be when he, that is, when the king sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priest, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. Let me just pause there for a minute. God said, here's what I want you to do. You want to be king over Israel, and you want to be the one who leads my people. Then first and foremost, you need to secure for yourself a copy of the law. And here's what you do. You take that law, and you write it, and you keep it at your side. I remember back when I was in elementary school, it was not uncommon for us to have to do a lot of writing. And sometimes as you write sentence after sentence or passage after passage, as in this context, one of the things that you're doing is you're ingraining in your mind certain principles. In this case, the king would have had the luxury to have read every single word, every syllable that God set forth in the law. And what would that do? It would begin to aid in learning the law, wouldn't it? So he had to secure for himself a copy of the law. And then there's a second thing. Not only was he to secure a copy of the law, but he was to study the law. Look again at verse 18. He said he's to write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites, and it shall be with him. And he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God. Now, let me pause here. God said, here's what I want you to do. First, I want you to take the law and write it down. I want you to make a record of it. And I want you to make sure that that law stays at your side day in, day out. I want you to study it. I want you to know it like you know the back of your hand. There is no substitute for personal knowledge of the law of God. Isaiah wrote many, many years ago in Isaiah chapter 34, Seek ye out the book of the Lord, and then he said, and read. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Paul said, Study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, As a newborn baby, desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow thereby. And then in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter said, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter in Hebrews chapter 5, the writer talks about the benefits and the blessings of knowing the Word of God. He addressed people that had not grown spiritually. And he said one of the byproducts of knowing the Word of God is the ability to make a discernment between good and evil. So what God is saying here is, look, you take my law 
and you make it a part of your life, you make sure you understand what this law teaches. Sadly, so many of the kings ignored exactly what God said. There was a crisis in the northern kingdom. The crisis was they didn't honor the will of God. In many respects, the kings over the southern kingdom, they too were derelict in their duties. All of the problems Israel had really were tied to a lack of respect for the Word of God. It's hard for people to rise above their leaders. And we talk about a leadership crisis in our country. I'm telling you what, we have a major, major leadership crisis in this country. It's amazing to me that we have people in leadership positions that don't have the faintest idea what God teaches in His Word. Do you remember recently in this country, the Supreme Court of our land legalized gay marriage? And can you believe that the current administration in Washington, when that occurred, they had a rainbow lighting up the White House, signifying their approval of gay marriage? Let me tell you what. The man in the White House knew this book. Like God said for the king to know his word in ancient times, there's not a chance under heaven he would have ever lighted up the White House with a rainbow color, signifying gay marriage is okay. Why? Because God said it's not okay. You see, one of the problems we have in our country today is people don't know what's right and wrong. They have no idea between truth and error. In Hosea chapter 4, Hosea brought an indictment against the very people of God. He said, the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. He said, there is swearing and lying and killing and stealing. He said, they commit adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed after bloodshed. Now I want to ask you a question. Does that not sound like modern day America to you? Do we not have a problem in leadership with people telling the truth, being honest? Do we not have a problem with people who are in leadership positions today that are advocates of abortion? You know what that is? It's called murder. It's called killing. Do we not have a problem in our country today with people honoring the sanctity of human life? Yes, we do. And we've got leaders all across this land. They're questioning, what do we need to do? What kind of social programs should we implement to help curtail the problem, to correct the problem? Let me tell you what. If we want to correct the problem, here's the solution. Go back to the Bible. That's the, that's the solution. That's the answer. Now you think about what God is saying in the long ago. God is saying to the one who would serve as king over the United Kingdom, who would serve as eventual king over the northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom. You need to first secure a copy of my word, the scriptures. 
Secondly, you need to study the Scriptures. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had people in leadership positions today that base their decisions on God's holy word? Is this not the standard? This is the standard, isn't it, for private life, public life? I can tell you why we have a problem in this world. Let me, let me call attention to the book of Isaiah very quickly. Look over in Isaiah chapter 66. Listen to what Isaiah said many, many years ago. Isaiah wrote about 750 years before Jesus came to earth. And Isaiah said, Thus says the Lord, verse 1, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? Where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I look. So we ask the question, what is it God is looking for in people? What is it God wants of his people today? Here it is. Listen to him. On this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Do you know what God wants? He wants people that have respect for his will, his ways, and his word. And I can tell you right now, we're in trouble in our nation today because we do not respect the Word of God. And we've got folks today that are claiming to be leaders in this country, and they do not tremble at the Word of God. We've got folks, sadly, that are running for the presidential... Well, they're running to be president in this country. And neither respects the Word of God. Neither one. I got to thinking this past week. If the candidates that we have today are the best we have to offer, I'd hate to see the worst. I really would. It is a crying shame that we have people who are running for public office that are immoral, they are vile. They are untrustworthy. They are utterly, utterly despicable in many ways. And yet that's who we're going to put in the White House, one of the two candidates that's up today. We need a real dose of righteousness in this country. Solomon said, righteousness exalteth a nation. Sin is a reproach unto any people. Aren't you tired of people that want to be leaders in this country that don't stand for anything? Have no moral fiber? Who could tell a lie just as easily as they could tell the truth and think nothing of it? Aren't you tired of that? Aren't you tired of the crisis in the leadership that we have in this country? Aren't you tired of that? It's enough to make angels weep. Go back again and look at Deuteronomy chapter 17. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, there's a third thing God said. First, He said, I want you to secure for yourself a copy of the law. Secondly, I want you to be a student of that law. And you remember the psalmist of old? David said he meditated on the law of Jehovah day and night. 
Wouldn't it be wonderful to have somebody in the White House or Congress or Senate who poured over the Scriptures each and every day and said, what is it I ought to do based on what the Bible says? Wouldn't you like to think that there are people that want to serve in this country that say, you know what, I want to respect the Word of God. I want to reverence and fear the God who made the heavens and the earth. Look at verse 20. Well, look at verse 19. The third thing, he was to be submissive to the Scriptures. He said that he's to read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. Why? That his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, that he may prolong his days in the kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be extremely careful and compliant when it comes to my will, to my ways, to my word. God said, I want you to make sure that you honor what I say. And why is that? Because if you'll do that, you'll be successful. If you do that, I'll prolong your posterity. The children of Israel didn't do that. The kings didn't do that. And guess what? The northern kingdom went away into Assyrian captivity, never to return again. The southern kingdom was taken into Babylon. They spent 70 years there. A remnant returned. And the only reason God spared that remnant was to bring the Christ into the world. Kingdoms come, kingdoms go. Kingdoms rise and they fall. God here is saying, look, if you'll follow my word, I will bless you. I will bless you immeasurably. What our country needs to understand is God's ways are right. They're always right. Hosea said, the word of the Lord is right. Now, I, look, I know there are a lot of folks in our, in our world today. There are a lot of people in our country today, folks in Washington, other levels of government, whether it be state or local. They don't respect the word. But I want to think that there are some people out here that do. We've got a lot of young folks in this congregation. And I'd like to think that we could raise up leaders among our own young people. Because we need them. We need godly leadership. We need young men and young women who respect this book called the Bible. Israel suffered greatly because she chose not to honor God. Because she chose not to follow the ways of God. I know that America is not a theocracy as Israel of old was. But I do believe that God has blessed us in many, many ways. And I understand that just because we have all these abundant blessings and just because we have immense wealth, just because we have a great military, just because we have all of these technological and other blessings, doesn't mean we'll have them forever. God never said. God never said that we have this, this country forever. And the bottom line is, I don't know what the future holds. I know the one who holds the future, and that's God. And I know that the most high rules in the kingdoms of men 
Am I alarmed? Yes. Am I concerned? Yes. Do I think that we're facing some tough, tough times? Yes, I do. Many of the tough times that we're facing, I think, are a result of our lack of respect for God's Word. Individually, collectively, all of the problems that we have in this country, many of which have been well chronicled, and many, many of those problems go back to one place, the home. So we have a crisis in leadership today because there's a crisis in the home. And the only way to rectify that is for men and women, young and old, to begin following the Word of God, to do as Paul said, to rear our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for your love. We're grateful for your care. We're grateful for the blessings that we enjoy in this country. And Father, we pray that you'd give us wisdom, help us to be a light in a darkened world. Help us to be salt, to be a leavening influence for good. We pray that you would bless us and give us wisdom. And we pray that you would bless those who are in positions of power, that they would make decisions based upon your word and that they would respect your holy word. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus said, except you believe that I'm He, you'll die in your sins. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you would be willing to repent, to confess His name before others, to be baptized into Christ, the Bible assures us that God will cleanse you from every sin, Acts twenty-two sixteen. And if you're faithful, God will bestow on you the crown of life, Revelation 2, verse 10. If you're here today and maybe your life's not what it ought to be, maybe your life is not pleasing to God, and you're a wayward child of God and you'd like to be restored, look, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you with the assurance that God will abundantly pardon, 1 John 1, 9. Won't you come as we stand and sing?